Now tuning in to Earbud Media. Audio for everyone. So excited. Like too excited. Yeah. You should not be concerned. Gay Watch. I'm <laughs> Hello, um, Gay Watch. You're listening to Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Thank you. You're I'll be here all week. <laughs> Hello, you're listening to Gay Watch, the podcast where we're gay and we watch things. I'm Jenny. And I'm Charlotte. How are you doing today? I'm good. I really am excited to talk about our media updates because my mood and my whole day has been like determined by what I watched. Wow, me too, but in a very different way. Okay, so let's just go. Yeah, let's just do that. Who cares how what our days were actually like? Yeah, I don't care. I just want to get into it. So I'm going to go first because this is more relevant. (laughs) Wow, Uh, rude. (laughs) uh, It's true. So I saw us last night Ooh. the new jordan peele film holy shit is like the first thing i have to say if anyone <laughs> needs to know anything about this movie it is that no one in the world should have anything except for lupita nyong'o i will stand by her for the rest of my life i literally respect her as an actress like so much she is insanely talented. The movie is just amazing. I'm still kind of fucked up by it. Like not in like a not in the way I thought it would. Like I'm not scared to like live and exist still. <laughs> it's a little scary at night when I think about the movie, but it's more psychological. Like it just has me really reflective and like thinking about what the movie could mean and it can mean and it does mean like a lot of different things. Um and it's playing with a lot of different things and like it's super fucking uncanny. Like he just kind of unleashed every um, fear of anyone's psyche in this country and, and put it into a movie. And it was amazing. It was also funny. Like, that was uh, unexpected. Well, yeah. like, not really, because he's I mean, Jordan Peele. His brand of humor is, like, so smart. I feel like it works with horror. I don't know. I feel like I haven't seen the movie yet, full disclosure. I'm seeing it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I feel like horror has, like, it weirdly meshes well with comedy a lot. Uh-huh. Yeah. Especially because I think naturally a lot of people's reaction to horror is to laugh. Yes. I was laughing so much in the beginning because I was so scared. Yeah, because you're scared and just because it's, like, visually weird a lot of the time and just because you're uncomfortable and all that crap. So I think it's cool when they like mesh together well. Oh, I'm so excited to see it. It's so worth it. Like go support it. Go give it your money. They make white people just look ridiculously stupid and they and they die. In the longer trailer, it's like Elizabeth Moss is like on the floor bleeding, Mm -hmm. trying to crawl back to life. (laughs) So that's just like a good kind of extra thing about it. But it's excellent. I'm very happy for him. Like I'm happy he's had so much success with his films. And I think the cast was amazing and I'm very excited for them too. And if this does not get all the awards or if Lupita doesn't at least win like all of them, I'm going to be really mad. On a very, very different note, (laughs) my media (laughs) that I wanted to talk about today that I've been like so into for the past, I don't know, six hours. I watched Titanic for the first time. (laughs) Um, It came out when I was a wee three month old. I don't even think I was born yet. Wow, you're such a youngin. I was born that year. <laughs> You're a baby. <laughs> Thank you. So You're much welcome for that. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but 
any whomst, I watched Titanic and it is an absolutely ridiculous movie. I cried twice. Wait, when this is important. When did you cry? Okay, so I cried at the scene when she had to let go, obviously. Oh, yeah. The more embarrassing cry scene was like at the very end when the old woman like goes to sleep slash dies. We're not, oh, not really right. sure. And like you get to see her like be reunited with like young Leo DiCaprio. <laughs> oh, God, that's the cheesiest shit ever. <laughs> and then it fades into my heart will go on. <laughs> <laughs> that movie, like I forget how fucking campy Titanic is. Oh, it's so funny. There's, yeah. It's so weird because like some of the shots are good and like well done and yeah. really cool to watch. And then some of the shots you're like... Did they film this on an iPhone? Like, yeah, for real. And it's just so the green screen is so bad and <laughs> there's absolutely no reason for it to be three hours and 15 minutes long. Oh, my God. It was excessive. It was literally my entire day. Yeah. Because we all know I can't sit that long and I kept pausing it to take breaks. Yeah. It's like an experience. Like you commit to watching that whole movie. It came in two DVDs from Netflix. Oh, my God. Isn't that ridiculous? I'm yeah, pretty sure one DVD can hold that many hours of content. Yeah, it's too much. I think that was just to make me feel like it was on VHS and it was like the olden days and we had to take an intermission. I'm glad I watched it. And yeah. I'm glad that I, f- I feel like I'm like in on the joke now. Oh, for sure. And like something just a side note of like my own frustrations. I cannot watch it anymore. Once you pay attention to how many times they say each other's names. Like, oh, my fucking God. They, <laughs> they say do. Jack and Rose as if they just it's learned each other's names. Because every they fucking did. Second. I know. But like <laughs> they've known they you each know, other for like, a day. Fully. First of all, you. And second of all. What? Like, oh my God. It could be a drinking game. Like they just every second he's just like, Rose, Rose. And she's like, Jack, Jack, get the whatever. Jack, Jack. It's like, shut up. Also, he reveals to her within five minutes of meeting her that he like is a child pornographer. Oh yeah. And she's like, oh my God, your art's so good. I know. And it's like, (laughs) he drew that five-year-old nude. (laughs) Yeah. So that was fun. Yeah. And James Cameron's apparently awful. So... But anywho, awesome. it was fun. <laughs> Kate Winslet wow. is amazing. And she got pneumonia filming that. Oh my God, no way. Because they were in the water so much. What a queen. I know. And now for a natural transition. <laughs> we're talking about Devil Wears Prada today. I am actually really excited to talk about this film. I had not seen it before we decided to do an Which episode. Is ridiculous. But there is like so, I have so many feels and thoughts. And right. Wow. There's a lot. And I watched this movie so much in middle school and in high school. It was like one of my go-to movies and I hadn't watched it probably in like four years, but I watched it yesterday. It's definitely one of those things like I know about and I knew references slightly just because like I knew of the character and like you can't really be online or like exist on social media and not see Miranda Priestly. Like, oh yeah, exactly. You just can't. I remember back when I was on Tumblr that like screen cap of Miranda saying florals for spring groundbreaking like that was on tumblr and oh fun fact i know why i have some sort of connection to this movie is because i used to google (laughs) this is like a little embarrassing but kind of wholesome Um, i used to (laughs) i used to google dramatic monologues to read (laughs) 
Wait, did you so, read the Cerulean monologue? Yeah, I did the Cerulean monologue. <laughs> and I was like, I know that this is Meryl Streep, but I don't know this movie. That's and like, so I think I remember funny. I like YouTubed the scene and I like watched it. So I knew that scene and I knew like some of her like more iconic moments, but I just had never seen the whole movie. Oh, that's so, so funny. When she did the Cerulean monologue, I, I knew it. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I was like, fuck Shakespeare. Fuck all this shit. I don't understand. I was like, give me some like stuff from a movie or a TV show. Oh, I was also very into, I used to know Puck's monologue from Midsummer Night's Dream, which Tucci connection, Stanley Tucci played Puck. Oh my God. In a Midsummer Night's Dream, the movie. I love a Stanley Tucci fun fact. I love a Stanley Tucci, honestly. I know. He's so wonderful. I know. We haven't gotten to talk about him yet because we haven't done any of his movies, which is crazy because he's in every movie. Ugh. I love him so much. He's one of the greatest character actors of our time. I agree. I think he's wonderful. We don't talk about him enough. I love him. (laughs) Underrated. I would also like to say that he has the same energy as Martin Freeman, and I really love him. You think he has the same energy as Morgan Freeman? Martin Freeman. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Martin Freeman, not Morgan Freeman. (laughs) I was so beyond confused for a second. Okay, got it. Oh, that's not the Freeman. Are you thinking about Martin Short? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> the one who plays Jack Frost in the third Santa Claus yes. movie. <laughs> yeah, it's Martin That's Short. exactly what I was picturing. Um, oh no, God. Martin Freeman is Watson in BBC Sherlock. Oh my God. <laughs> they look the same though. They do. So that was just me mixing up white men. Sorry. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. It's just that they all look the same. So They do. They do. <laughs> so... This movie was directed by David Frankel. (laughs) Thank you, David. (laughs) Thanks, David. Um, You did fine, I guess. Screenplay was written by Aline Broch McKenna. Cool. Written by a woman. We love that. And it's based on a book, also by a woman. Cool. By Lauren Weisberger. And interesting thing about the writing of this movie is that the... So the rights for the movie were secured before the book manuscript was done. Oh. So they were kind of writing it at the same time. And then once the book got released, the screenwriter and the producers decided that the third act of the book was really poorly written and didn't have enough structure or enough going on. The end is totally different. Oh, that's interesting. And then the book has a sequel. Oh, I love how I just did not know that at all. Interesting. <laughs> Which is like just really weird. And and Meryl Streep and Anne Hathaway have both said they would be in for a sequel movie. Oh my God, we're just, just was, waiting. <laughs> it was confirmed like six months ago. So Wow. But I don't know what they're waiting for or if it will happen or if I even want it to happen. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I would watch it. I'll give them my money. So yeah. Anyways, the book is based on the author's experience working as Anna Wintour's personal assistant and Anna Wintour, editor-in-chief of Vogue. If you didn't know. Oh, American Vogue. And Anna Wintour actually saw the movie. She went to the premiere. She said that she enjoyed the movie and that it was entertaining. She was more mad about the book. Oh, okay. Because Meryl Streep like didn't play the character as her really right it was detached enough you know a uh, little fun fact about this movie is that it's super available it's streaming right now well that's not true because you have to pay for hbo so if you have hbo go it's on there right now i think they're taking it down i didn't know that hbo like tells you when it's available until yeah and i watched it you know the ideal way like as god intended on the DVD full screen edition that I bought at Walmart on clearance about 10 years ago. Thank you, Walmart. And thank you, DVD. But yeah, so 
the tagline for this movie <laughs> ridiculous we got high fashion low cunning and the boss from hell like what all right i don't know even what's going on there like calm down the low cunning part i'm like i don't really think that's working but i'm like i don't think this is a sentence but okay <laughs> Good try. <laughs> you tried. Oh I mean, taglines are probably a lot more difficult to produce than we think. No, I understand that they can be difficult. This is just a particularly bad one, I think. I agree. But yeah, I mean, we've kind of already like started talking spoilers, but here's your spoiler warning, like official. So bye if you haven't seen the movie. Goodbye. Pause it. Go watch it. Come back. You got to watch this one. It's really weird and there's a lot going on. <laughs> So we've got like so many characters that I think are important to the plot. Our like lead girl is Andy slash Andrea, played by Anne Hathaway. She just graduated from Northwestern with a journalism degree and is like looking for a job in New York. And then there's her boyfriend, Nate, played by Adrian Grenier. Grenier. Who cares? <laughs> we he's <don't> hot. <laughs> you think he's hot? Yes. <laughs> I think he's like attractive but then he talks oh he's like, awful as a I'm person like, dude you're the worst yeah so then it like it takes the hotness down a little bit for me yeah that's true and then we get to meet their friends the only important one is joanne from brent um <laughs> i didn't even put her character's name because like who cares but her also name's like i think it might have actually been joanne from rent because like really? she it is. looked the exact same talked the like there was it no is. difference like it's joanne <laughs> It's Tracy Toms, and she was like, I'm going to do Joanne again. Yeah, she's, like, she's like, fuck you. I just got done with Rent. I'm not changing this character. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah, she was like, I know you called me because you needed a person of color for your movie. I know. I think she was definitely literal tokenized. Only, quite literally only person of color in like a speaking role. Yeah, it's bad. And then obviously we have Miranda Priestly played by Meryl Streep. Iconic. She got a Best Actress nomination for this. Wait, like an Oscar? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. Why didn't I know that? Yeah, she got an Oscar nom. She did not win. Jesus. I mean, I'm just kind of shocked because it's like it's in it's like such a rom-com. Like not that they can't be taken seriously, but they're never taken seriously. And she's also not she's not in that movie that much. Right. And like the range is not there. Like she's just kind of a static mean lady the whole time. We're supposed to see her range in like the two scenes where she like is kind of vaguely nice. Or when she's like breaking down and sad. But like yeah. even then she never her exterior I don't think ever really is shattered. We could have dug into her character more. I mean not sure. to drag Meryl right now because no, this I was is more never. to drag the writers really. Yeah. They didn't give her like, much to work with. I'm just that's like amazing that she got nominated. Anyway, she said that she really didn't want to base her character off of Anna Wintour. Mm -hmm. And so she was trying to like look at for other people and she couldn't find. She said, unfortunately, you don't have enough women in power or at least I don't know them to copy. So she kind of had to like create her own character based on yeah. like men in power and like yeah. male bosses that she had seen, which I think is definitely evident in her performance. For sure. And then we've got Emily played by Emily Blunt. Creative naming there. <laughs> she's so good. Oh, I love her. Everything she I says is awful. <laughs> but she's such a yeah. good actress. Um, Emily works in the office with Miranda. And then another person who works in the same office as Emily and Miranda is Nigel. Nigel's another, like, what do we know what his title is? No, I think he's just like the side gay that we don't know or we're not supposed to think is gay, but we know he is, you know? He's probably like a managing editor, associate editor type of thing. He's essentially the only one that 
Miranda likes and doesn't want to murder every day. Yeah. So he's important. And obviously he's played by Stanley Tucci. So like he's wonderful. Yes. Then we have the worst person, Christian Thompson, Mm -hmm. played by Simon Baker, who is like creepy, older, blonde man who just like douchebag. Yeah, just awful. He's like knows people at the New Yorker. Yeah, he's supposed. Isn't he a writer, like a something? I don't know. He's supposed to be like a well-known journalist, and Andy really likes his work. So there's all like the important characters. Do you want to do like a short little plot summary for us? Um, so I feel like also regarding the plot summary, I I didn't know this movie was going to be a, as long as it was. <laughs> and it's very dense. Like there's a lot, a lot that happens. And like you think it might be wrapping up and it doesn't. Anyway, so <laughs> there's a lot going on. Andy, who's played by Anne Hathaway, she like just graduated college and ostensibly like her and her boyfriend just moved to New York as everyone seems to do. And she like wants to be a big journalist. She accomplished a lot in college and is expecting to get somewhere, like work her way up in journalism in New York City, finds out about this job interview. So the job is to be Miranda's assistant at the magazine and she knows nothing about fashion. She doesn't care about fashion. She's not like a New Yorker yet. You know, she's not like one of the New York girls um, and doesn't really care about like makeup and accessories and all that stuff. So she gets the job because Meryl sees something in her. Meryl, Miranda (laughs) sees something in her and it's terrible. And she's like the classic terrible villain. I mean, literally they call her the devil. So you can imagine. And And she just kind of like breaks down until she, like we all do, have a makeover and then things get better. (laughs) Uh, Once she is physically transformed, things start to get better, but then they kind of get shitty again because everyone hates her because she's changed herself for this job. And then eventually it ends. She goes to Paris for fashion week. And this is a big deal. Very like Sex in the City-ish, like ending in Paris. Like that's what happens on that show. And she just kind of realizes like, this isn't who I am. I don't want this kind of life. Like she's become sort of like a mold of what I think Miranda like wanted her to be or what Emily thought that she should be. And she just kind of like throws it all away and literally throws her phone into water. Oh, it's not a phone. It's a pager. (laughs) Oh, is it really a pager? Isn't that funny? (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. That's important. Yeah. She throws her fucking pager into like a fountain and is like, I am not made for this life. And she leaves Miranda and like gets a new job at a new magazine or something. Yeah. Movie. (laughs) When you think about it, I think it's very classically formulated in terms of like the rom-com. It's just, I think there wasn't a movie that was set in the fashion industry in this way until this movie in terms of like romantic comedies. So it feels new kind of, but like it has a lot of the conventions of girl next door becomes big New York City girl and then finds herself. Yeah, I think it does like stray from the original rom-com though because it's much more focused on Andy as a character. For sure. And it's not about her finding a guy because she already has a boyfriend. Yeah. And I mean, she has that like weird thing with Christian, but that's like Mm -hmm. separate and gross. It's very much like a chick flick. Yeah, I would. I um, and we're going to talk about this later, but I think it's very much like a post feminist movie. Like when you think about like what that would mean or what that looks like. And like, I just want to say it. I'm going to say it because Mm -hmm. this is important. It's fake. Post feminism is not a thing. It doesn't exist. It's an illusory, terrible 
terrible concept that is quite honestly anti-feminist and mm-hmm. it tries to claim that's like saying like we don't have racism anymore like like exactly. when you say, it's like, like saying we're all post-racial now. or whatever it's like not true at all it's a way to kind of it's like a cop-out it's like look well you can vote now and have abortions and do whatever and you can also like buy mascara and buy things so like you're liberated and it's fine and like look how fun it is to be a lady and look how awesome it is when you have money to like be a woman yeah it's not a good concept and it became a really popular site of media criticism I think and like a lot of Mm -hmm. writers and authors and scholars started focusing their work and language around this idea of like a post-feminist world so when I use it and say it I think I'm trying to use it in the way like that this media or whatever it is is trying to be post-feminist it's trying Mm -hmm. to imply like we don't need feminism because xyz not that i actually believe that it's a thing you know yeah so like going off of the like post-feminism stuff this movie does not know what it is saying about anything i agree and especially doesn't know what it's saying about femininity yeah well, because it's saying so many things. Yes. And it all like fully like just contradicts itself and mm-hmm. it's just unclear. And it literally starts like from the very first scene when everyone's like getting ready for the day. All these we like, love a new good, um, women. Getting dressed montage. <laughs> we love a good like headless woman montage. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it sees every, see everyone getting ready, like putting on their heels and their dresses and their spanks and whatever. And then Andy is just like, got my chapstick, got my bagel, let's go. Yeah. Yeah, it's like you needed to see four or five other women that were really skinny and wearing lingerie in order to understand like what she is not. Like that yeah. was really important to set up the film. Yeah. And then, you know, we see that she has like really grown out bangs and a collar, which means she's like smart and mm-hmm. like not like the other girls, you know? She like went to college. <laughs> and so she's like not performing femininity in like the proper way or whatever the fuck that is supposed to mean she's just not as hyper feminine which is what she's about to be like really sucked into well yeah because she's about to walk into this world of fashion where there's like a huge focus on appearances from like the get-go emily uh, miranda's like previous assistant hates andy like literally from the interview because she's not subscribing to this like femininity that their magazine runway is selling right like the new york fashion scene in this time i think like was now an identity like to be a fashion girl in new york Mm -hmm. was like now a thing of course like i do everything else i'm going to attribute this to sex in the city (laughs) because it just really influenced the media that followed the show yeah so emily and andy kind of just immediately clash just because Emily is trying so hard to like fit into this like New York fashion girl thing Mm -hmm. and Andy like doesn't give a fuck about it and the whole thing is that like what both of them are doing like they're both fine (laughs) you can be super feminine and you can be super not feminine like it doesn't matter and like who's to say how much of a woman someone is like you decide that and it's not based on like if you're more feminine that means you're like a better or a fuller or a more real woman like we equate that so hard yeah like everyone just loves to be like womanhood equals femininity which is like not true and so it's just like not good and obviously this movie seems like they're like trying to make some sort of commentary on this 
maybe, but they really do a bad job of it. Yeah. I mean, the more that I think about the movies that emerge from this sort of like decade or like time period, I think we really see an emergence of what are the different like types of girl or types Mm -hmm. of woman that you can be. And I think that they pick three really isolated kind of stocky conceptions of like womanhood and femininity that are very contrasting and they put them up against each other and like see what happens and of course it's like there's just drama and there's fighting and it's catty but it's also like maybe they can work and learn to support each other question mark right like it's there's just so much going on but so we have the first sort of like category of like woman and that's Miranda like the wealthy successful cold domineering ultimately like joy deprived boss person like she's literally referred to as the devil in the title Um, Mm -hmm. and then later on when she's sad about her divorce she's saying like they're gonna write all this stuff about me they're gonna call me like a snow queen and all of these things and then earlier in the movie Andy says she is not happy in unless everyone around her is panic, nauseous, or suicidal. So it's like, (laughs) she's like a villain. She's like literally made out to be the worst. And like, okay, arguably she is. Yeah, she is Um, terrible. But (laughs) But we can get into that like more later. Yeah, and like that's just like what her character is. And then we have with Emily, we have like the modern girl. She's doing girl correctly and to its fullest. She's She's very aspirational. She's a hashtag girl boss. That is such a good word for Emily, yes. Because, okay, we did not have like, we didn't like use language like that because I don't think feminism was capitalized upon as hard as it was no we weren't now. there yet so we did not have like girl boss like shit yet but that would definitely be like what she would identify as if this were a set yeah. in like 2019 <laughs> yeah she's like very she's, aspirational she and Miranda are both very capitalist yes oh my god and she like wants to be like she's very gossipy and catty like we just said like she's immediately she's immediately fighting against Andy and sees her as her opposite and her competition and she's just like wants to be Miranda but isn't there yet type of person and then we have Andy of course the girl next door she's like quirky and smart and simplistic and she's very uninterested in like how we were just talking about like this excess of femininity like a hyper girlness like she Mm -hmm. kind of like thinks it's trivial and talks down to it and is like these belts look the exact same I don't fucking care and so of course that's punished and she's not seen at least in this sort of environment is not seen as like a full real lady um and it's very shamed for like not understanding or not wanting to engage in all of the upkeep of that sort of body and she doesn't like starve herself and she doesn't like you know know what an eyelash curler is and that's Mm -hmm. wrong but like her boyfriend loves all of these things about her because you Mm -hmm. know she's like not like the other girls and she can like hang with the guys she's like one of the guys which is just a just as bad of a stereotype (laughs) because like people can hang with people right and like you can be quirky and like know what a fucking eyelash curler is you know what I mean like it doesn't yeah, like femininity be. doesn't mean you're stupid. Exactly. And it's not lesser than. And these things are super, super compartmentalized and like separated mm-hmm. in this movie in a way that like, it's like, if you are this, you are this. There is no crossover or overlap. And like, you don't get any mobility. And if you do, like things will get fucked up. <laughs> Yes. Oh, so speaking of change, let's, we need to talk about the makeover. (laughs) Okay. The makeover scene, first of all, is not even a good one. I feel like it could have been way more fun. Right? If I have to sit through a makeover scene, it should be at least as fun as Princess Diaries. (laughs) 
And like the Lizzie McGuire movie. <laughs> yes, that's a fun one. Or just like classic like photo shoot scenes, like makeover stuff when it's there's like a song and it's like fun. I don't know. Yeah, like it was just not well done. And also it just doesn't make sense with the plot at all because she went and got her makeover while she was at work. Right. And she literally would have been fired. And Emily Blunt was like, if you ever leave the desk, you'll be fired. <laughs> and then she left. And when she came back, she was like, oh my God, you're wearing Chanel boots. Everything's fine. Right. And she just owned it. Like it was like, oh, you know, it suggested that like she just hadn't found herself yet because she didn't understand like eyeliner you know and it was like oh well thank god that you have Jimmy Choo's on because like then you can just really come into your confidence and understand yourself and like be powerful and be a badass so obviously Stanley Tucci who is playing Nigel like the supposedly gay character Mm -hmm. is the one who does the makeover right and they do it in like the wherever they keep all of like the accessories and clothing that they use for like magazine shoots Mm -hmm. and he immediately is like you're not gonna fit in any of these oh my god right and that was so fucked up and he calls her six like multiple times like he calls her by her size which is yikes we will talk more about that later oh yeah (laughs) but Um, and it's just i think makeover scenes are often problematic because they're unless they're fun like let me find a wedding dress or let me find a dress like like a one-time sort of scene but if it's like to change and transform this person's whole identity it really bothers me because it's like it kind of is just suggesting that like hyper femininity and like buying things and makeup and all of those things are what like that's how you're gonna self-actualize like yeah it's like it's not gonna be it's like you're not a real woman if you can't afford all of this if you don't put all the time in for this and like you have to want to do that it's not for you (laughs) right like if you're smart and went to college and you're a good writer like who the fuck cares unless your bangs look good you know like also it's just, they literally just like blow dried her hair and trimmed it yeah and put like eyeshadow on it was a very basic makeover and also the outfits were like were not good no they supposedly they hired like someone who worked in fashion to like do all of the outfits i don't know who they hired maybe 2006 really was just a bad fashion year i think it was i think it really i think it was just like the year it was but no one except meryl streep and stanley tucci looked good i agree like everyone looked awful and like really weird like streaky straight hair with like tons of dark or weirdly colored eyeshadow it was just a mess yeah it was very much that time when people were always wearing like one too many layers oh yeah and like layers but then like a bunch of other layers of jewelry on top of it but then a belt over it but of course a belt and you're just like why yeah. <laughs> belts were like such a thing and i really like the quicker we can forget about the belt moment like <laughs> the better oh uh, there was this one outfit that Anne hathaway was wearing when she had like pants like trousers that clearly had belt loops but she was wearing like a long sweater over them and then a belt over the sweater and i was yeah. just angry <laughs> it was just unnecessary i was like tucking your shirt <laughs> nothing was functional in any sort of way (laughs) no and then also these outfits that they were like trying to like the other thing is we're just supposed to sit here and believe that Anne Hathaway didn't look gorgeous the whole time right like that's so terrible and she literally says at one point like in the beginning when she's interviewing or whatever with Miranda she's like I know I'm not skinny or whatever and it's like you cannot like quite literally my jaw dropped when she said that because I was like I am not skinny did not just come out of Anne Hathaway's mouth I know like we're literally supposed to believe that she is fat and ugly like that is until she gets her bangs trimmed damaging like oh my god it's so bad I loved this movie as a kid (laughs) 
It's so bad. I think it's also, now that you say that, it's just thinking about like who is watching this and when they're watching it because they think yes. now I have like education and, and media consumption. Like I understand how to be critical about these things and like I'm a yeah, good so feminist. Like, this won't damage you. <laughs> no, but like if anything is just annoying and it sucks, but it's like if you don't have... Because at some point you can see that it's kind of trying to be like commentary slash satire, but it's Supposedly. not good. Like, if anything, it would be like the times when Stanley Tucci was saying like, oh, when six is the new 14 or whatever. It's like you would have yeah. to understand kind of like historically what has been happening to lead up to that point. But if you're born into it and like you're young at that point in time, like you have no context for like, oh, this wasn't always the standard. Then like that's really hard. Yeah, it was very, very much. They tried some lines like the one that you just mentioned were like almost satire, but they didn't do enough to explain it or to like contextualize it. Right. Like the comments were made and then they were just kind of accepted and brushed over and no one reacted to them in any way, which is, I think, where some things were lost. And then kind of going along with the makeover scene, like after the fact, she shows up to this like thing with her friends and they're all just kind of criticizing the fashion industry. And one of her friends, actually, I think her boyfriend says it. He says, why do women need so many bags? Just get one and put all your stuff in it. And that's just some sexist bullshit. And another thing that is said, I believe at the same thing, is one of her friends knows a lot about fashion or just like two things about fashion. And someone's like, why do you know that? And he's like, well, I'm actually a girl. And then the other person's like, oh, that explains so much. So, um, you know, really fun that straight men aren't allowed to talk about fashion. Yeah, it's and that's just icky. And also, like, I hate the like gross, often transphobic justifications that happen Mm -hmm. after jokes or like as jokes about men breaking masculinity a little bit. Like it's very much like if you like make a joke about that, you're either a woman or you're gay. Exactly. And that's like not cool. (laughs) Like it's not historically. Yeah, that might be true because it very much like a lot of times like queer people, trans people will like cross these gendered lines more than others. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that like like cis het people are not allowed to like play with gender. The whole point of like dismantling gender is that everyone can do whatever they want. Yeah. And like define it for themselves and they can like what they want and not have any repercussions around that, which a Mm -hmm. lot of what gender is essentially is like you have to do it and you have to do it right. And it, and you're very monitored and policed in that way. And if you don't do it fully or the right way, like there are social consequences for that in many different ways. Yeah. And, it's I think it's extra frustrating for me at least in this movie because in the context of Andy's job where she's just starting to kind of take on this more feminine role more hyper feminine role as she's like got her makeover and is like getting more into fashion and all that Mm -hmm. her friends are supposed to be a contrast to that but the way that they're contrasting it is by making fun of how fashion is feminine they're not critiquing that the industry like can lead to eating disorders they're not talking about how it's capitalist like it just doesn't it's not commentary No, not at all. It's just like, they're just oh, like both you care bad. about this now? Like, oh, you're shallow. You're you're juvenile. You're just like one of those girls now. Yeah, it's just like bad on both sides. And then just overall, her friends are awful. The fact that they don't, like these other like supposedly like broke artsy people don't understand that Andy has a job and she would like to keep it. Right. Like that just doesn't line up. You know, like when they were like tossing her phone around at dinner when her boss was calling. Yeah. 
I was like, I have anxiety for you, girl. Like, <laughs> no, that stressed me out. I would be so angry. And then it's like kind of gaslighty because it's like, oh, look, you're all mad about this thing that like I thought you didn't care about. Like, why are you upset? You know? Yeah. And it's like, OK, even if she doesn't care about it at all, it's still paying her rent. <laughs> like, right. And like, she, I feel like no one asked her about it ever. And like she was complaining about it and it wasn't given much weight. And then I think everyone was just mad that she looked different. And like, I do get where that would be frustrating because it didn't make sense entirely with her character for her to do yeah, that. Yeah, they didn't they didn't explain it well. No. It just like happened because it was like, oh yeah, of course. Well, she just needed to look better. But then that was not like parsed out with the people that were close to her in her life. And so it mm-hmm. just kind of took a turn. Yeah, it just was like unnecessary and her friends were just bad and her boyfriend was too. Oh yeah, gross. Yeah, but I mean kind of like going along with this how capitalist this movie is. Do you want to talk about like the capitalist like New York City fantasy going on here? Yes, I would love to. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like I have a like a fond place in my heart for movies like this. Just because the ones that I watched when I was younger, like it makes me nostalgic for watching movies on Saturday morning that were just like yeah. mindless and good rom-coms. But they're also similar and like this New York that was created, as I've said, I think Sex in the City affected the landscape of media that takes place in New York City just because the show was like ridiculously influential and it's really problematic like I've talked about this before in episodes but Carrie Bradshaw as a character kind of like shook up how we think about like women or specifically how we think of like urban women on TV and in movies. And so like in the early 2000s, you had like, I'm not going to act like I have a good idea of like the scope of this. So I don't want to say this is like 100% true. But from my sort of knowledge, there was like an uptick in movies and rom-coms that were taking place in New York City or like some classic early aughts rom-coms were like very similar and took place in Manhattan. So just some things mm-hmm. like a little list that I came up with are mostly out of ones I've seen. Julie and Julia, which was another Meryl movie. Another Meryl Streep movie. Meryl and Street. an Amy Adams one. Yes, Amy Adams. I talked about this recently because I had just watched it. I love it. It's, I think it's a. It's very cute. People, I think, hated it though? Question mark? I don't know. I think critically it didn't do well. Yeah. I've only seen it once. It was cute. I don't really remember it much. Yeah, I mean it didn't like shape me as a person, but and Amy Adams is like a very sim- similar character to Anne Hathaway in, this, in The Devil Wears Prada. Even though yeah. she is based on like a real person. Anyway, Hitch, which has Will Smith and Ava Mendes, along mm. came Polly with Ben Stiller and Jennifer Aniston. Also like a really good one that I would watch all the time. She's very much like doesn't need relationships, lives in New York, like loves spicy food, whatever. 13 Going on 30 is, is a pretty big one. 27 Dresses with Katherine Heigl. Made in Manhattan is with J-Lo. That's like a little bit different. Doesn't really fit into the sort of formula of the others, probably because all the other characters are white ladies um, with yeah. money. And Made in Manhattan is quite literally about a maid in Manhattan. <laughs> Creative title, you know? Yeah, super good. <laughs> really good, though. Um, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. And then another one that was, I think, 2010 or I think 2009 or something was The Proposal. Yeah. And that is like strikingly similar to this movie in in terms of uh, Sandra Bullock's character and Meryl's character. So anyway, there's a lot like that sort of New York that that was created, the like rom-commy New York that I think exists in my head is because of all of these movies. And it's like very postcard, like romanticized version of this place that's very whitewashed yeah, that's, and capitalist. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's 
like you said, I don't know if it's an actual uptick in movies or if it's just the ones that we remember because it's like the ones that we watched. For sure. I have a very different image of New York because like when I think New York, I think Eloise at the Plaza mm-hmm. and Home Alone. Yeah. Because <laughs> I I didn't watch as many. I Most of these rom-coms I haven't seen. Okay. And like arguably the proposal doesn't even take place in New York. It, it's yeah. I mean, it's kind of like in upstate, right? For the rest of it. No, Alaska. Oh, see, I have seen it once. <laughs> And, but I still think you're right. Like even just from this one movie. And I, I also think of Confessions of a Shopaholic. Oh yeah. Which is also like a very similar vibe to this movie. Mm -hmm. It definitely made me think that like New York was like this like city of dreams. And it's very like, like you said earlier, like the whole post-feminism thing. Right. Like where you come to find love or a job or maybe both if you're lucky. Um, Like where women can work. Yeah. If you can have it all. I think New York is... A good such like easy setting to pick for mainstream blockbuster movies because oh yeah if you think about I mean like it's kind of like a microcosm of like gender constructions and people and like it's so fucking big and it's just full of like difference even though none of these movies really highlight difference but I think they kind of use that to their advantage and use that as an excuse not to like when we think about like the modern girl like that became a huge thing of like after the 90s of like what it means to like have it all and like be modern and like be urban and and working and like normalizing that and like this kind of goes back to like sex and the single girl which was a book and then a film and Breakfast at Tiffany's with Audrey Hepburn and she's like this carefree iconic um, in Manhattan who like doesn't need anything and doesn't even name her cat because she doesn't care about emotional she's a sex worker Mm -hmm. yes we love that movie (laughs) yeah Breakfast at Tiffany's is amazing it's fraught but wonderful oh Um, yes so back to the air quotes post-feminist sort of concept post-feminism is this idea that really hammers down emphasizes the idea of choice. Like it's all about you get to decide what your life is now because you're liberated and have access to money and shoes. <laughs> like yeah. it's an extremely white concept because often the f- people that have the most access and the most mobility are like white women who have been able mm-hmm. to secure jobs or secure husbands with jobs, etc. It's very much about like the woman who can have it all is like the white woman who is privileged and who aligns herself somewhat with capitalist values, but she does it in heels. So she's a feminist. Right. And she chose like, that's the thing is like, oh, we didn't put this on her. This is who she is. Like she's choosing Mm -hmm. to do all of these things. And like, she's really reveling in the joys of womanhood and like the joys of what it would mean to just like be a girl now and Mm -hmm. not be oppressed anymore. Yes. And then I think specifically for movies like this and especially in this movie it's like the making it big in the city like narrative is really prominent and it really erases any sort of conception of structural inequality. Like there's no... Mm -hmm way that so like when a woman is like wealthy or powerful or gets success in any way it's definitely just because she worked really hard and sacrificed a lot and like wore the right things and bought the right shoes and like had the right nail color and it would never be because of like privilege or unearned social mobility like that's sort of what this film and also a lot of like narratives related to this film are banking on here oh yeah for sure yeah and it, that like totally it makes me think of like just world theory like it's it's like this person has what they have because they earned it. And if you fail, it's because you deserve to fail and you didn't try hard enough. Yeah. It's not because of racism, classism, etc. Right. If anything, it's like you just didn't work hard enough. Yeah. So it's just icky. 
And I think it's hard to have conversations about like a lot of people, like women will do one fucking thing in a movie and they'll be like, is this a feminist movie? <laughs> and it's like, like a woman like breathes and everyone's like, oh my God, <laughs> is this feminist? Let's have a debate. <laughs> and it's like, first of all, I don't like the, we can't equate women to feminism in the first place. Like that's gross. And like, look that up. I don't want to explain it. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> That's like too much. Yeah. But I think what's important about post-feminist media is that we are critical enough to both critique it and love it at the same time, but know mm-hmm. like what's going on. I think the best thing we can gain from these movies, because a lot of them are very beloved and even though they're like terribly problematic in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. and like a lot of people who like these movies are not reflected in them in any way, shape or form. Yeah. And it's really hard, I think, to have conversations about like choice and capitalism and all these things when it's like oh that's just a movie about a magazine you know like it's just yeah kind of brushed because a lot of times this yeah i say this movie gets dismissed for being feminine exactly yeah this isn't to say that i want it to be taken into the canon because it's not good (laughs) right but that's part of a larger conversation about as a society why do we hate things that women love oh exactly like anything that's feminized doesn't matter exactly which is totally just as you were talking about earlier with the whole like fashion being feminized and being viewed as negative but then the movie kind of flip-flops on that because once Andy like kind of takes it up and like she starts to get successful then and that could be commentary but it like doesn't get to that level in the movie right and it's sort of just this gross vicious cycle of not ever being enough or understanding what it would take to find yourself or be true to yourself or understand like what it's going to take for you to be okay Yeah. Yeah. And it's just so frustrating to watch. I agree. Because it makes me upset, obviously, about all the gender stuff. But it also makes me mad because like Andy is like killing herself to do this job. Yeah. And she is working so hard. And it's this whole mentality of like we said with the just world theory, it's like this whole like do your time, be exploited and treated like shit by your boss and have to go into work for way more hours than you ever should have to just so that like one day you can be a mean boss to another girl. Exactly. Like maybe if you work hard enough and like absolutely ignore any sort of boundary between work and personal life, Mm -hmm. you will be able to be mean to other people one day. (laughs) Like how exciting. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. And obviously, like, Miranda is the, like, top of this tier. Like, she's the one who's like, oh, like, she's made it, you know? Mm -hmm. And she's just an awful person. But And it's also, I think we're supposed to kind of pity her. Like, she's miserable. She's clearly, like, she has children that she barely sees. Like, she's working constantly. She has a lot of pressure on her to, like, have this incredibly successful magazine. She's got a shitty husband, apparently. I think we're supposed to be like, oh, my God, like, you really don't get to have like a full wholesome family and a good relationship or good marriage and this wonderful successful like job yeah it sucks I don't know it's it's hard because part of me wants to like defend her yeah and be like well she's a woman in power and like she's doing well but objectively she is like very much the like woman capitalist who has taken on the worst parts of capitalist patriarchy Mm -hmm. and is just pushing them back onto the people below her yeah like she's overworking her employees and she's treating them like they're not people Mm -hmm. 
and she's like crossing all the boundaries, like you said. And she's just, it's really frustrating to watch her because like part of me loves her and I'm like, she's fabulous. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like she looks amazing, mm-hmm. but she's objectively treating Andy like shit. Oh, for sure. And it's just like capitalism is really like rooted in the fact that we can't depend on one another to be okay. Like we have to only have mm-hmm. ourselves. It's so individualist. Yeah. And that's really like <laughs> present in, in these movies and in a lot of the other ones too. Like a lot of the sort of like New York rom-coms in the early aughts were like there were ladies in these movies that were like really hardworking and like successful and journalists and didn't care and didn't need men. But like what happens when that gets upended in any way, you know? Yeah, but it's just frustrating yeah, to watch because like her character is, you know, she won an Oscar nom for it. Like it's clearly that shows that it was powerful to see this woman in power and see a woman get to be mean. Mm-hmm. Like I said in our last episode, part of my feminism is like, let women be mean. Yeah. <laughs> let women be bad. Yeah. And I don't think we get enough of that in this because they kind of gently redeem her. Yeah. But it's like, oh, towards the end, but then they, but then they go back on it. Yeah. It's very weird. I think it's also just because same with the whole, like, we need to let everyone be like, let women be angry and villainous and terrible because we all are. But if you're emulating like a white man as your kind of like ticket upwards, like your ticket Mm -hmm. into like the boys club or like into success, like you're fucking everyone over. Like you're not getting anyone anywhere except for yourself and you're just doing it by becoming who oppressed you and like... Yeah, you're just continuing the oppression and continuing the capitalism. Like it's not good. I'm trying to think of like where the characters would be now. I feel like Miranda Priestly would be like exploiting women abroad for like fucking purses and shit that say like empower her like let's say hashtag girl boss yeah like that's a girl boss and shit and then she would just like speak at a women's march and like it would just be super futile and worthless oh she's fully a republican oh yeah i mean i could see it being one of two ways like she might be like a white feminist like a corporate feminist like a corporate feminist but she also fully might be like tommy laren she's a closeted i don't know she's a closeted republican i think (laughs) yeah and then another like I think mine like a more awful character. Oh yeah. Is Christian Thompson. Literally fuck that. So first of all, two types of men that cannot be trusted. Men named Christian. Yep. Adult men with blonde hair. Yep. What is Christian? Both. <laughs> We don't trust him. Name thing I fully agree with. And I've never, this is just a me thing. I'm never attracted to blonde people. (laughs) This is a fact. I would say there is one blonde man that I'm attracted to that I can't remember. But the other two people that I would say would be Brie Larson and Diana Agron. Everyone else is out. I'm blonde people are fine. Same measure stick as everyone else. I just when a grown man like can't have blonde hair. It just well, like he is was wrong like trying to, to be me. like he was trying to like look 22, but he wasn't. He looks like a surfer dude wearing a suit. Yeah. Oh, my God. He was and it's gross. like not good. And he's totally oh, he's so creepy. He literally right when he first meets Andy before like he talks to her about anything else. She like is like, oh, my God, I'm such a big fan. And instead of saying like, thank you. And then moving on, he decides to like just try to get closer to Andy and he immediately is like making jokes about her boyfriend right and 
trying to give her like exposure and he's like oh I'll read your stuff and yeah it's just not good I'm just also Um, so sick of like men and I don't know how often this happens anymore also like I don't deal with straight men that often so like whatever but the whole like I'm gonna completely disregard the fact that you're in a relationship that might make you happy and fulfilled and this this man you're with might be like wonderful or whatever but even if it's not like why is it like a thing to just be like oh fuck your boyfriend like and it's totally just like an alpha male like let me out compete you and then maybe you'll see that like I'm the one to be with but it's so it's not cute like I'm not it's just uh yeah and then well then we find out later that he's like a literal rapist oh fully when they're in Paris for fashion week he takes Andy out after she like really tried to dodge it and then you know after she's had like a long hard day and she's tired she like it's like fine I'll go like get food with you Mm -hmm. and then they're walking around Paris and talking about how it's so beautiful and then out of nowhere he just like kisses her annoying we don't like a surprise kiss no that's a no you have to give warning (laughs) you have to like make sure you're on the same page right like there has to be some sort of eye contact some sort of like some consensual there has to be like a clear signal there was nothing she was just enjoying herself and he just absolutely nothing and then she pulls away and she's like i can't and he just kisses her again Mm -hmm. no and then she literally says i've had too much wine my judgment is impaired yep and then he proceeds to keep kissing her and then we don't see it because it's a pg-13 movie but they clearly sleep together so yikes and then another gross thing is that when she wakes up in his hotel room she finds out that he is like trying to work at runway right and like take miranda's position Mm -hmm. so he would be her boss yeah it's just gross it was like fully just to fuck her and the whole it was under the guise of like exposure and opportunity and like I really liked your writing, like complimenting something that clearly means something to her, but means nothing to him. Yeah, it's just not good. Gross. Oh, and he also says, so Andy had like just found out about Miranda's divorce. And like, I think they're in Paris or something. And he's like, are you really supporting her right now? And I think she's just trying to like insinuate that like, I don't know, maybe we don't know everything about her. And like, we don't Mm -hmm. need to like hate her. And he calls it, he says she's like going to the dark side. I don't know what the fuck happens, but he calls her sexy for some reason and she's like swooning. Like what? Like you were just irritated that he, whatever. I know like it had to progress in some way, but it was like, oh, you might be supporting like your boss or another woman. Like you're evil. Yeah. It was like, oh, so you're going to support her instead of sleeping with me. So I might publish one thing you wrote. Exactly. (laughs) How dare you? All around, he's awful. And he's like not and even cute. Ew. No, he's really not. Honestly, like her original boyfriend, though I do think he's a bad boyfriend, he is cuter. So yeah. Speaking of who's cuter, let's talk about beauty ideals and eating disorders. Hey, my favorite finger. Thing. I'm finger gunning right now. You can't see it, but <laughs> just know it. Oh, uh, it's so hard. Yeah. I'm going to put like a big ass like content warning here, like if you don't want to think about eating disorders right now, just like skip forward a few minutes. Yeah. I don't want to go too, too, too in depth about it, but there's just too many eating disorder jokes and they're all awful. Yeah, bottom line is like, it's just really problematic. And like we said, like, I think it was dabbling with like a satirical sort of comment on it, but it didn't do a good job in it. Either way, it's just like, do we need more satire and jokes and commentary about fucking disordered eating? Like, I don't know. Not um, like this. Not like this. And in, in any way, it's bad. It's very, very bad. Like there's literally, I think Emily's character is the one who's the worst. I 
I about agree. it. But she's the character who's struggling like with an eating disorder. But she like is making light of it and kind of saying things that in real life, if someone said that, that would be to me, I would like check in on that person oh, and like for sure and be like, okay, like what can I do for you? Like, let's get you some help. But Andy's just like, haha, the fashion world is messed up. Oh, right. Like, and then it's, I really didn't expect it to like go to that extreme. But at the end, when Emily gets sick, she's like, oh, I'm on a new diet. It's, I just don't eat anything. And then when I get hungry, <laughs> I eat a cheese cube. Oh. And I'm like one flu, like stomach flu away from my goal. Like, oh my It's so God. bad. It is bad to the point where you're like, I can't believe they wrote that. And right it it through the writer's room and someone said it and then edited it and was like this is fine right and that's self-starvation like that was a joke and then there's another point when emily finds out that andy gets to go to fashion week instead of her and emily says like oh you don't deserve the couture you eat carbs yeah so excuse me i also did you ever think bread was bad until you started hearing comments about this from like models and shit no and also you should be eating bread fuck you i like bagels you know and it's like the whole diet of like no carbs is like not good for you. Right. I really didn't think you grow up and you eat PB and J's and it's all good and fine. And then you hear like things on shows and whatever. And like, I was like, oh, is bread uh, the devil? Is bread the devil? Does the bread wear Prada? I was like, that is so (laughs) terrible. Well, it was bread. (laughs) The bread of bread is bread. (laughs) The bread of bread is bread. (laughs) Thank you, John Mulaney. Uh, but like I really like that's really fucked up to like build a whole identity and relationship and body around the hatred of a certain food or food group. Mm-hmm. Like even now when I like eat bagels and bread, I'm like, oh, should probably stop eating bread. But uh, yeah, like it bread. gets so internalized. Yeah, it's really internalized for me. And I have a lot of just stuff around this that's been hard in my life as like so many people do. And it's just like I'm so over it. But it's also like really shitty to deal with. Stuff. No, it's definitely I've also like had my struggles with like food stuffs Mm -hmm. and it sticks with you like even like to this day like you were saying with bagels there's like a few foods that I eat that I like have to talk myself into it like I have to be like listen like you're allowed to eat food like like, it's okay Char like you can eat this bagel exactly I have to be like you're allowed to eat you deserve food right it is okay like and that's so sad that we have to like be like you deserve to eat today like that is that is fucked like it's so sad and movies like this this is what we were here at least what I was hearing growing up like Mm -hmm. it's so sad the other thing that makes me mad is like Nigel's talking about sizes right yeah and it's like almost commentary but it's totally not and there's also this whole thing with clothing that's like marketed for a woman the sizes are totally like they don't mean anything yeah they don't I wear a different size at every store and it was so harmful to like hear all these numbers especially because I think when I first saw this movie I was probably like 10 yeah ish and it was like one of my first times when I was like tall enough to need to shop in like the junior section where clothes finally had numbers. Yeah. And they weren't like small, medium or large. Yeah. yeah. And I remember I was never a double zero no. or whatever. Also, how like, the fuck is a piece of clothing? It's also zero. so unhealthy that it's numbered like that. That's fucked up. How do you, and I how remember, are you a zero? That's nothing. Like I remember being so stressed out about it and I was always scared that like I would be like 
ostracized by my friends or whatever for like not wearing a zero. Hell yeah. And I like was super tall really fast. So I like and I was an athlete. So my like hips were just like bigger and I feel like I needed like bigger pants. And I was like, I had a bunch of skinny fucking friends and I was like, all right, well, clearly something's wrong with me. No, I feel that because I I hit puberty early. Mm -hmm. And so I was like 12 and was as tall as I am now, which is like five, eight. Yeah, I was I was like the same size I am now. Yeah. When I was 12 and everyone else hadn't gotten there yet, which is totally like fine and normal or whatever. But I felt like awful. Yeah. And it's like fully like not to put anything on a hierarchy, but like the fact that size six is being used in this movie as a like an insult is Mm -hmm. beyond me. Like how damaging that is. That's so And it's really sad because you think it's like going to be resolved or maybe it'll go away. But the joke stays the whole fucking time. And then at the end, this is what confirmed for me that it was like not trying to do away with any of this was Mm -hmm. when Andy says like, like he says, oh, something, something size six. And she goes, nah, four. And he's like, oh my God, really? And she loved it. She was like, oh, look at me. Like I'm, I dropped a size. Like, well, and the other thing that's really unhealthy about that is that she looks the same. Oh, I know. Because we all know that she didn't lose weight for this movie. No, not at all. Like she's like the same weight that she usually is, which is like fine, whatever. But the fact that we're supposed to watch this and believe that she went from a six to a four. I know. And like that she like still, I don't know, that that she looks the same. The thing that matters is the number. Yeah, that's like, That fucks me up. It's <laughs> And so it's just bad. upsetting to watch. And also like a six, Jesus Christ. Like I haven't been a size six since I was like a tween. I will never this- <laughs> ever again in my life be a size six also if you're a size six you're beautiful love yeah, it you're beautiful you're fine you're i'm beautiful just saying and like, wonderful yeah the number means nothing yeah whatever it also it literally means nothing because like i said like these sizes are not standard no not at all and i don't know it's just like trying so hard to almost be at least at the beginning of this movie i thought it was trying to be commentary and it's totally doesn't work it's just not not working it just completely falls apart from the end and it's really frustrating because it could have been a cool critique of the fashion industry yeah but it gets worse honestly yeah it just gets worse as the movie goes on and it keeps like confirming the thing that you were hoping it wouldn't confirm exactly which is that it is invested in this capitalist like white skinny focused fashion industry mm-hmm. and this isn't me like shitting on the fashion industry like i truly believe like it can be there are cool things there like we all need to wear clothes cool if they look cool yeah and like it can be its own art form fully believe that but i also believe that we need to address the issues of like body positivity and me to address like the hyper focus on like femininity and skinniness like that needs to be addressed Mm -hmm. and critiqued for sure but i don't know the critiques of the fashion industry in this are very much blamed they're very much about femininity and not about like the fashion as an industry right or like who makes people feminine like why do we have to be like like who sets the standards you know Mm -hmm. yeah so like it could have been about such like bigger more interesting things but it really falls back to like critiquing fashion for being feminine and not for being a cause of a lot of people's eating disorders Right. I think like a lot of their kind of MO was just around like well people need to take this seriously and like care about it and like this is a big deal in magazine it makes a lot of money and people are really famous you know like it was like Mm -hmm. oh look this industry is as important as writing or architecture or whatever like it wasn't kind of trying to shift anything or break open any it was very much just trying to like validate the existence of the industry that already existed Mm -hmm. yeah but so to move away from that discussion into something like a little more fun we got to talk about the fashion 
not the fashion industry, but like the clothing everyone was wearing. Oh, yes. We we kind of talked about it just like a little bit earlier. Would like to reiterate that Meryl Streep looked so good. She really did. I think it was a wig. You think it was a wig? Yeah, I was reading an article earlier. I believe it's a wig. Oh, wow. Which it's a good wig. Oh, for sure. Her hair looks so good with like that icy crop with like a little wave. Yeah, it really just sat well on her head. She really looks great with that haircut and I think she should do it again. I agree. I also, she literally wore Prada in almost every scene. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Makes Pretty much every sense. scene, her, her <laughs> shoes were Prada, and most of the time her bag was, which is why there's a shoe on the poster. Oh, yep. And then the only other character that arguably looks good to the rest of the movie is Nigel. Yeah. I mean, obviously men's fashion has always been a bit more, like, simple, mm-hmm. but Nigel is always wearing these, like, really well-tailored suits and fun patterns and colors, and I'm very much here for it and would like to own everything he wears. Yeah, he had a really good wardrobe. And my favorite thing i think the best outfit in the whole movie or at least my favorite was the like blue and black plaid three-piece suit yeah that was such a good look and he had these really cool like horn rim glasses the whole time yeah absolutely wonderful good looks good fits i would also yes. like to say that i think emily blunt's eyeshadow is its own character in this film oh my god yes it, it was so much that when she talked i didn't listen because i was staring at her eyeshadow bitch you should not be making fun of anyone look at your face <laughs> like what <laughs> well and then another thing i would like to argue as a character in this movie is the tiny hat that anne hathaway wears <laughs> <laughs> the, like the little like newsy cap thing oh my god yeah oh it's ridiculous she looks so bad <laughs> 2000 i think really the early 2000s up until like 20, like 13, was like really mm. not good in fashion. No, it was so and I don't ugly. Know and shit about fashion. The only outfit that Anne Hathaway wore after she became fashionable that I actually thought was like almost a good fit was like the last thing we saw her in. Yeah. Because like at the very end, like after she has like quit the job and she like sees Miranda on the streets of New York, she's wearing a black turtleneck and a leather jacket and jeans. Mm-hmm. That's the only good outfit she wears. It's just not as fashionable as you would think for it being set in a fashion magazine. I think at the time it was fully trendy and fashionable. It just is so of its time. Like you watch it and there's no way you watch it and you're like, oh my God, that's cute. I would wear that tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So one little teeny section on queerness in this movie, because there isn't much. We are supposed to believe Nigel's queer, but it is not said. Of course. It is subtext. It's pretty strong subtext. It's like coded, but not. There is the scene when Nigel is kind of like, he's leaning over like a mock-up of the magazine talking to Andy. And he talks about how when he was little and he would hide under the sheets and read Runway. He like, it like wasn't. Yeah, he didn't go to soccer practice. Yeah. And how like he knows that it's like not traditional for boys to like it. So that was, I believe, supposed to be when we realized he's queer. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like when you have the one guy in like a all sort of like female dominated industry or sort of environment. I think it's often taken to mean that they are queer or gender deviant in some sort of way. That's just kind of like a stereotype, the side gay or like the gay best friend or the mm-hmm. like whoever loves fashion or. Yeah, it, his character is fully just based on like stereotypes of gay men who are into fashion. Yeah. And like we said earlier, he's the one who does the makeover. And that's another like 
gay man stereotype, like his function in the story is just to help like the woman. Mm-hmm. And he's definitely built on those stereotypes. But I would also like to say that in the actual fashion industry, there are way more gay people than one. Oh my God. Like a bunch. <laughs> like, of course, there are like straight people there too. But artsy careers attract queer people because they're not normative. And the stereotypes that Nigel is built on are sometimes true. Right. And that's not to say that this like it's bad for like men to be into fashion and that it makes them gay in a bad way. I'm saying that like it was kind of like tokenized. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's just being tokenized. And it's totally okay for like men to be into fashion. Yeah. Like that's fine. I would like to shout um, out Miss and Mr. J from America's Next Top Model. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yes. I think that show like there's so much to say about that show. But I love that, like, when girls that wanted to be on the show and they were, like, homophobic, Tyra would be like, um, sorry, everyone here is gay, so you have to go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they were good. Tyra really is an ally. (laughs) I don't know. I'm okay with Stanley Tucci, like, playing a queer as a straight man. He's part of the gay canon to me. I agree. For being in this character and for just existing. Yeah, definitely. I think he plays with queerness a lot in his roles. I think so, too. Oh, and in the Hunger Games, he is like so queer to me in the Hunger Games. Oh, very much so. And I don't want this to be misconstrued as me being like only praising straight men for embracing femininity. Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of times we're like, oh my God, like he embraced his feminine side. I want men to embrace their feminine side. This doesn't mean like other people shouldn't embrace their feminine sides too. I'm just thumbs up to that. Yeah. Um, I have two miscellaneous questions slash comments. Yeah. Throw them in there. Okay. So here we go. Number one, who the fuck walks into their house with a lit ass candle (laughs) in a cupcake? Like who? No one. Who's? How did she have the time? Okay. She, first of all, she did not make it to the bakery before it was closed. There's no way she made to Magnolia Bakery before it was closed because it was late as fuck. Where did, do you carry a lighter with you? You don't smoke. Like, what is going on? Did you walk a lit ass candle home the whole way in Manhattan? I don't know. Like, I don't think so. But she... You're, you're, the cupcake would be in something. Right? Like, you're not just carrying a naked ass It makes cupcake. no sense. What? Oh, it's my God. So that weird. bothered me so much. She walked in the apartment and I was like, that is not a lit candle. Like, no one walks in their house with a lit candle on a fucking bare ass, like, pastry. Anyway, that was my first question. Very weird blocking choice. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, my second question. Was Ivanka Trump in this movie? In what part? In Paris at the end when there's like all these people and they keep showing like designers and models and whoever. I swear to God. Oh, I fully bet she was. I feel like I saw Ivanka Trump in the back like talking to people. Honestly, I didn't notice her, but I would not be surprised. So to wrap up our (laughs) lovely discussion of this insane movie, I want to talk about like, what do we think the message of this was supposed to be? Okay. I don't know. (laughs) Same. Like, it doesn't make any sense. There's so much going on. And I think this is what happens when you put so many different like stereotypes and like little conceptions of different types of women in one movie. And I don't know if we're supposed to know what it is. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's very unclear. Like, we're supposed to be spending this whole movie kind of, we're seeing everything through Andy's eyes. And so we're kind of supposed to, at least, this is the way I like viewed the movie is that we're supposed to kind of be happy for her when she realizes that, oh, the fashion industry isn't all bad. And she kind of starts to see some value in it. Right. But then when that happens, she suddenly 
suddenly becomes a bad friend because she's changed and embraced this like feminine thing and fashion. And she's just trying to do her job. But also it is true that some of the things she's buying into are bad and uncritiqued, like the eating disorder stuff. So it just doesn't really line up. And then at the very end, like we're supposed to backpedal on all of this, like all of this thinking about like maybe the fashion industry is not so bad. Like we're supposed to backpedal on all of that when she like throws her pager into the fountain and walks away from her life at the fashion industry. We're supposed to be like, yay. Right. I mean, which just doesn't make any sense. It's like hard to know when to root for her and when to be like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it, if anything, I think the biggest message that I got from it was like, you get to decide, like you make your own experiences like it's a very individualist kind of like capitalist kind of like work hard and try and make it and figure yourself out in a big city sort of thing yeah and it's like I think at the end when she throws the phone it's like that is the message of like she is choosing her old self or like her mm-hmm. self or who whoever that is so maybe it's like a kind of reminded me of like a legally blonde moment like a fuck you I'm gonna do what I want sort of thing at the end even though that's far yeah. more feminist um, than this movie but I yeah. I think it's like maybe it's a stay true to yourself message in like a very kind of like empty hollow way but it's also like yeah just a very poorly done way that's yeah it's just inconsistent it's like wait 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 she wanted to be who she was and then she showed up and then that didn't work out and so she molded herself and changed and transformed to her surrounding environment and expectations and Mm -hmm. that didn't work out either like you said and it's like really confusing to understand what you want and you have to be manipulated and abused and beaten down and it's really hard to figure it out and like of course this sounds whiny and annoying when you think about like where she's coming from in terms of privilege and identity like she this is like a dream like everyone kept saying oh like a million girls would kill for this job and like they have a nice Mm -hmm. apartment and clearly like they're not that short on money like they're all just it's the whole like 20 somethings in New York trying to figure it out sort of thing so I don't know there's a lot going on and I don't think there is a clear message yeah and I didn't it just doesn't I didn't feel like I feel like you get to a lot of ends of movies or ends of like romantic comedies and feel like oh thank god or like you're oh you're like oh I'm so glad I rooted for you because look where you are now. And I didn't really feel like that for this character. So I don't know. It's a very interesting kind of just no easy way to wrap it up, really. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we're going to wrap it up with fuck, Mary kill. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because that that fixes everything. So today we're going to do fuck, Mary kill with Andy, Emily and Miranda, a.k.a. Anne Hathaway, Emily Blunt and Meryl Streep. The Holy Trinity. (laughs) (laughs) The father, son and Holy Spirit. So I said that I would fuck Miranda because like she's powerful, you know, that's bold, dude. Thank you. Good for you. I would marry Andy. She's great. I think she's like one of the only characters in this that was like likable to me. Yeah, I agree. And I would kill Emily because I don't want to be around those eating disorder jobs. Oh, you're right. You're fucking right. OK, so I would fuck Emily because I'm scared scared of Miranda so I wouldn't fuck her um and we have like contrasting like any time that I'm like you're way too powerful for me I get intimidated because I feel like I need to be powerful so I just like get away and also Emily (laughs) she seems like fun (laughs) like even though she's she does not okay whatsoever no um, I would want to be friends with her yeah totally totally I would want to like help her you know I know I just said I would kill her but I would be friends with her (laughs) 
And then I would also marry Andy and then I would kill Miranda because mm-hmm. fuck that. Yeah, I mean, she's awful. The, so literally, I actually was having like visceral reactions to her dropping her coat and purse on her desk every morning. Like I was like, that is the most obnoxious. Do you know how much shit we get knocked over? That is no, that so, is so rude. I was like, you're being so rude. That's like fucked up. Also, don't you have a hook or like something or like, God, I don't know. It was like, the, you gotta God, have like closet. at that point, wouldn't you? Get a command hook, like rightly. Like, <laughs> just picture Miranda Priestley putting up a command hook. It's like, does she have anything in her bag? She's just really knocking it, like throwing it on there. Anyway, it's time for best worst. Okay. So for me, the best thing about it, and the reason that I can still bear to rewatch this movie, even with all of the horrible shit, yeah. is because I really love anything set at a magazine. <laughs> Like, you do. I'm completely serious about this. Like, I love it so much. I was so into Ugly Betty. Uh-huh. And this movie and The Intern, which is a later Anne Hathaway movie starring Robert De Niro. Anne Hathaway and Robert De Niro, yeah. <laughs> which is actually a really cute movie. And then I love the bold type. So I really love like just that whole vibe, really. Mm-hmm. The worst for me is just the eating disorder jokes and the Harry Potter plot line makes me really mad. Oh, yeah, that's that was weird. OK, so like it just doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah, it didn't like she could have made her do some other outlandish thing. Like it didn't make sense. So, yeah, it was just like, those are the problems. And obviously everything we already talked about before. I think for me, like the best part about it is that I don't have to take it that seriously. And I can just like... It's just a good like escape rom-com. Like I really, I do, like, as I said, like I really love the rom-coms that came out of this five to 10 year period. But th- again, like they're very, I'm reflected in them. And like the person that I thought I wanted to be is in these women. And so I think that's why I felt really attached to them, but they're really like hard to consume now. And I think it's like, yeah. especially it's hard and it's like on the surface because it's like, no one wants to hear jokes about anorexia, but it's also like hard to think about who you were were when you were watching them for the first time and kind of realizing like, oh, this really made me think this about like women or this really fucked mm-hmm. me up because I thought like femininity had to be this thing and I had to like mold myself into that and I think so it's kind of upsetting if anything just on the level of like unlearning all the things you've internalized but again like it's just I kind of feel like it's just a complex relationship but we have complicated relationships to every media that we love especially I think consumed when we were younger and then yes, for sure yeah even though Miranda sucks I love Meryl Streep like I love watching Watching her perform like I think she's just such a wonderful actress like I just loved watching her be kind of shitty yeah which she kills which it. like we knew and like they totally capitalized on that <laughs> yeah the worst is like just the normalizing of like body shaming and uh, disordered eating just the encouragement and like normalization of competing with other women and just to like yeah shrink your body as much as possible like to be very small is how you become big sort of thing like that was just like sad yeah so we got some fun questions today <laughs> for my friend Aaron. hi Aaron. thank you for sending these <laughs> So we were asked to give our thoughts on Anne Hathaway's friends being disappointed in her. Considering the fact that she did change a lot, negative or positive change in your opinion? I don't think the change was negative or positive. I agree. I think it was supposed to be intended to be a positive change. I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like the reasons for the change are negative. Exactly. Because she was changing because she wanted to conform. Right. But... I also believe that like you can make those changes and have it 
be positive if you're doing it for yourself and you're doing it because you just want to like embrace your femininity or something. Like if that's going to make you feel good. Then like do what makes you happy. Yeah. But the way that her friends view it is that she's like being sucked into like the corporate fashion world, which is like true, but her friends are being shitty about it and dismissive of it and not asking her like why she's really doing it. Yeah. Like I think the reaction, I think the reasons for the change and the reactions to the change are more important than like what actually happened, you know? Yeah. There's not good friends. Yeah. A good friend would not just immediately make fun of you for that. They'd be like, oh, how's the job going? Like, I noticed like you changed this. Like, is this to make you happy or is this to make the job happy? Like, exactly. They would actually talk to you about it maybe. Yeah. And not just like critique you in like a mean way and in a way that's completely dismissive of the fact that like she wants to keep this job clearly. Right. Like they're so against the whole concept of this job and so against the fashion industry. So it kind of ties back into like the shaming of feminine things. Mm -hmm. So. I don't know. There's a lot tied up in there. Yeah. Okay. So I'm excited for this checkout question. The checkout question today is what is your favorite Meryl Streep character? It's such a good one. Okay. I think that the reason I know what this movie is, is because it was always on, like I have cable at home and like, it was just on TV a lot. Like, and I would watch it and I was intrigued and I would like, I remember eating breakfast and watching this movie a lot, which is weird because it's quite (laughs) intense, but Meryl Streep plays Gail in The River Wild. It is a 1994 film where she like literally, she's like white water rafting, but it's like more intense. I don't know if there's a different name for what that means. She's just, and it's, it is so fucking scary. She fully (laughs) almost dies so many times and like, it is so cool to watch her like in this like raft with her son and this dog is there and she's just so badass and like it's one of the ones that you forget like it was like so it was kind of early in her career so like yeah oh my god but it's such a good one like I love it Kevin Bacon is there oh yeah and then I also just love her as Julia Child because I think it's just like a really fun cute movie and I think she really like you could tell she just had a lot of fun playing that character and I think she's just like to watch her become like kind of an absurd over-the-top character is a really fun thing for me to watch. So yeah. What about you? So I also have two and they were released in the same year, which is really yeah, wild. That is wild. <laughs> so I think I've talked about Doubt before on this podcast, yeah. but Doubt is a drama about sex abuse in the Catholic Church and she plays one of the nuns in it. It's very good. I still um, need to watch and it's Doubt. Like, I believe it's either Hulu or Amazon Prime that it just got added to, but it has an insanely good cast like Meryl Streep, Amy Adams, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Viola Davis. And then same year, she was in Mamma Mia. <laughs> a classic. <laughs> same plot. <laughs> Um, about sex abuse in the Catholic Church. Just kidding. We all know what Mama Mia is about. It's cute. It's fun. Yeah, she's so We love Abba. Uh, She's great. We just love Meryl. Thank you for existing, Meryl Streep. Thank you for wearing overalls and being barefoot in Mama Mia. Like, we really, we're dedicating this episode to Meryl Streep. Yeah, she's so great. And... Our next episode is another movie that I used to watch too much, 500 Days of Summer. Oh, so much to think about. (laughs) It is a lot. I have, um, not to brag, written an essay about it before. Who hasn't done Jenny? (laughs) Honestly, mine was different, though. I'm not like the other girls. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm not a girl. Yeah, I was going to say, that's probably why. That's funny. Okay. (laughs) Oh my God. But yeah, thanks for listening. Give us a good rating. Thank you. (laughs) Bye.
This podcast is an Earbud Media production. Transcripts of all episodes are available at gaywatchpod.tumblr.com. Our theme music was done by Eli Krauss. The artwork was done by myself, and you can see more of my artwork at jennyholtz.xyz. You can follow the podcast at gaywatchpod on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr. Jenny can be found online at queerxoh on Twitter and Instagram, and Charlotte can be found at charlottebird on Instagram or babybird04 on Twitter, and that's bird with the Y. You've been listening to Earbud Media Production. Earbud Media. Audio for everyone.